Welcome to another edition of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. This week we're going over UFC Vegas 34, headlined by Kelvin Gastelum and Jared Cannonier in a pivotal middleweight scrap. And this should really give us a good idea of where Kelvin Gastelum sits in his career, especially going one and five in his last five fights, albeit that fifth fight being an interim title fight against Israel Adesanya, which came down to the fifth round. Uh, so let's see if he still has the enough gas in the tank, because if he is a guy that's going to be a contender, he should be able to beat a guy like Jared Cannonier. So I can't wait to break down this fight for you guys, and obviously the entire card. This one's a little bit extra special, right? I'm actually, if you guys follow me on Twitter and all that stuff, or been watching my streams this week, you guys know that I'm going to be heading down to Vegas on Thursday to take this fight in in person i'm super excited for it i cannot wait to have that ufc apex experience and uh just watch these fights you know in, in person it's gonna be super exciting the way that i'm kind of uh, um comparing it is like watching uh, dave Chappelle or joe rogan at like a, a small comedy venue you're getting a high level mixed martial arts in a small venue where it's just like you're watching an underground fight club or some shit and i can't fucking wait for that so i'm very very excited um uh, decent card right name value isn't really there but uh, there are a lot of fun matchups the one that really sticks out to me is obviously alexandre pantoja versus brandon royval that should be a fucking banger of a fight i cannot wait for that one easily the one that i'm most excited for but roberts versus bahamunda should be fun uh even maleki versus nunez i know it's a little bit low level mma but like it should be fun that fight should definitely deliver considering how both of those women's fight uh both of those women fight the uh mma twitter champion mr park reporter making his uh, uh making a return this weekend as well against chase sherman uh clay guido versus mark madsen that's been highly debated this whole week can't wait to see how that one plays out uh louis saldana versus austin lingo another great fight again i'm very excited i can't wait for these fights to go down but first and foremost as we always do Let's break down the last card that we just went at, or at least the betting recap for the last event, which was UFC 265 two weeks ago. That was the last uh, event I actually had any official plays on, and we swept the board, fellas. First play, five units on the under four and a half for Saragon for Derek Lewis, uh, minus 180. A lot of people thought that Saragon is all of a sudden just a decision fighter, and all they've seen is, uh, you know, Derek Lewis, when he goes late in, fight, late in fights, he's always able to pull out a victory from under his ass, but the issue is... It's the lulls in between his blitz attacks that guys, you know, are able to take advantage of. And a guy as skilled as Strilgon absolutely takes advantage of those moments. And he did that perfectly. I believe I called that fight to a T, saying that Sirogan was going to win that fight in the third round, and that definitely came to fruition, especially remaining as patient as he did, working the body, and then eventually just letting it go when Derek Lewis wanted to, you know, he pretty much wanted to check. He wanted to get out of there. Let's be honest. So, uh, good one for Siragan. Good one for us for hit the, for hitting the lock of the night play. That's plus two point seven eight units on the lock of the night play there. And then the dog of the night play comes through as well. We had the under two and a half in the Osborne and Cop fight. Uh, one point five units at plus one twenty. That cashes for plus one point eight units. Say what you want about the early stoppage. Cop gets the finish. We cash the check or we cash the, the ticket. That's all that matters to me. Uh, fun, uh, decent flying knee uh, knockout there. But again, uh, you could have let it go a little bit longer. Let's be honest. Regardless, we cash the ticket. That's all that matters to me. Plus five, 4.58 units on the night. And that's two straight winning events now. Two straight lock of the night hits. And we're hoping to keep it rolling uh, with the third straight one this weekend. I've already placed my lock of the night play on the uh, Patreon 
as well as my dog of the night play uh but those won't be free to the public until friday so if you're looking to not join the patreon which i'm going to talk about next uh you will get the picks for free on my twitter and instagram on friday uh speaking of the patreon five bucks a month supports your boy uh if you guys haven't already hit the like and subscribe that's the easiest way to support your boy but if you want to go a little bit deeper five bucks a month for the patreon you guys get a best bets and props article you guys get uh every single fight i go through the best prize picks tips for you guys as well um we got a great discord community you guys get first look at the official picks as well because again i don't drop the official picks to the public until friday so the line movement may have done its thing by that time uh so yeah uh, even the discord alone is probably worth uh, the price of admission a lot of people enjoy the discord we got a great positive community there we talk mma and we talk a bunch of other sports as well a ton of people dropping community picks and just sharing picks from all over the place so shout out to all those guys uh in the patreon i'll be forever indebted to you guys especially for the amount of value that you guys add to the patreon just for being active in the discord so uh yeah that's the best way to do it link is in the description below if you guys want to check out the patreon and secondly shout out to my guys over there at coolbet coolbet.com use promo code mmalotn2 that's the number two and they'll match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks it's a great website one of the best in terms of uh how intuitive they are with all the tools and analytical things that you can use to help better your own betting process but uh you can probably props there um that's one thing that a lot of people look for you know especially when they want to get risky with it when, when they want to gamble a little bit uh you definitely get better odds whenever you're parlaying props um you know i wouldn't say it's a long-term winning angle there but it's definitely something fun to get some nice uh odds especially if you're only looking to parlay like three or four props or something like that um so yeah coolbet is definitely one of those places you guys can do it so once again uh coolbet coolbet.com make sure you guys use the promo code mmalotn2 and then match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks all right that's a wrap on that uh let's get into the breakdowns no no need to wait anymore i know you guys want to hear what my thoughts are on the card uh enjoy the breakdowns and i'll see you guys on the other side Ramiz Brahimai versus Sasha Palatnikov. We got minus 130 on Ramiz and plus 110 on Sasha Palatnikov. Now, this is an intriguing fight because we got Ramiz coming back off that torn ear, if you guys remember that, from several months ago. I believe that was late last year where Max Griffin was able to put a beating on him from minute 1 to minute 13 until Ramiz's ear pretty much was falling off of his head. Uh, that was a very uncharacteristic Brahimaj that we saw though, right? Like normally when Ramiz has success, he's chasing takedowns, chasing the grappling, but we didn't see much of that at all against uh, Max Griffin. So there could be a, a negative public perception of Ramiz right now, considering how he competed last time around. But I think we see him go back to his roots here against Sasha, as Sasha doesn't seem to have the greatest takedown defense. I think Ramiz will be successful in dragging this fight to the ground and eventually finding a submission probably in the first or second round. But I will say this. This fight does get pushed later. I think Ramiz could be in some trouble here, as Palatnikov definitely will have the cardio advantage. Now, I don't think that... Brahimai has the cardio issues to the extent of Luis Kosi, so I don't think that we'll see Palatnikov, you know, for sure get a third round KO if this fight does get to the third round. But I think there is a slight possibility that he could really put it on Ramiz late in this fight and either steal the fight, get the finish, whatever it might be. It definitely will concern me the later that this fight goes. But I do not I, i'm not a fan of sasha's uh takedown defense again i do think it's going to be a little bit easier for ramiz to get this fight to the ground he might have to work for it a little bit i'll, I'll say that but again i do think he should be able to secure at least a takedown or two early in this fight 
And then once it hits the ground, Ramiz is very offensive with his uh, submissions. Seems to be more of a submission over position kind of guy. And, you know, eight out of three times, or sorry, eight out of 11 times, it seems to have worked out for him because a lot of his wins have come via submission in this spot. Uh, Platnikov obviously got uh, submitted last time around against... Um, uh, Impa Kasanganai, that's where that's a fight where we saw Impa Kasanganai really, uh, um, really pursue the takedown and really pursue the grappling. And would I found that very interesting considering that was his first fight down at 170 pounds. Uh, and I thought that the grappling heavy approach would be too much of a tax on his cardio. And you know, especially being down at that weight class for the first time, uh, he probably wanted to have played it safe, but he didn't. He felt he had the strength and grappling advantage, and it turned out that he did. And then he luckily got the submission pretty quickly in round two. Here with Ramiz, though, I think that Ramiz will be successful early, get the takedown, find that choke, get Sasha out of there. But I think the play that I like the most here is the under two and a half. I think no matter who wins, somebody will get the finish. I'm saying Ramiz. I'm going to say Ramiz first round submission, but I'm not counting out Sasha Platnikov pulling something off the later that this fight goes. So if you guys want to sprinkle Platnikov round three, I think he has a decent shot, especially if Ramiz is not able to lock it up early here, but I do think he does. So I'm going Ramiz, bro. He my first round submission. Ignacio Bajamundes versus Roosevelt Roberts. We got minus 145 on Roberts and plus 125 on Ignacio Mondes. Now, I think there's a tr ton of uh, recency bias going here with the uh, Roosevelt Roberts side of things as he's come up short in his last two fights, obviously, as a minus 265 favorite against Jim Miller, and then after that as a minus 600 favorite against Kevin Kroom. Now, let's quickly break those down. The Jim Miller fight makes a bit of a bad fight IQ move, you know, I mean, he, he kind of throws a lazy kick, it's taken down, and just doesn't do enough to get back to his feet, but also that's like the worst place to be against a guy like Jim Miller, and Jim Miller obviously showed why. And then after that, Kevin Kroom, I truly believe that Roosevelt Roberts did not respect this guy. I do think that he just went in there and thought that he was going to kill him, and I don't think that he had any respect for what Kevin Kroom was going to bring to the table there, and unfortunately paid for it. Uh, gets club and sub pretty quickly in that fight but now I think we're going to see a rejuvenate Roosevelt Roberts come out here and show why people believe that he deserved to be a minus 245 favorite against a guy like Vince Michelle why he deserved to be a minus 390 favorite against a guy like Brock Weaver Jim Miller now I know all those guys are different skill level than Ignacio Bajamundes but there's certain things that Bajamundes does that I think that Roosevelt Roberts can take advantage of I think Roberts has the cleaner uh, cleaner uh, boxing. I think he has very good hand speed. I think he rolls well with shots. Uh, I think he's decent with his striking defense when he respects his opponent. And then I also think that his grappling could definitely come into play here, as I do think that he has a very sneaky submission game that I could take advantage of here against Ignacio Bajamundes, who two out of his four losses have come via submission. And I do think that uh, Roberts could definitely exploit that advantage that he should have in this fight. My only concern for Roberts in this fight, and the guy who hasn't notoriously shown chin issues, right? The Kevin Kroon fight is the first one where he actually gets knocked out. You haven't really seen him rocked, hurt, dropped, or in any crazy trouble from punches in the past outside of the Kevin Kroon fight. So I'm not willing to say that this guy's chinny. I'm not going to say he's chinny. I'm not going to say he has durability issues. He needs to show that more than once for me to 
to to claim that or to have that as a legitimate concern my concern is if this fight does stay in the striking round for the majority of 15 minutes Bahamundes' volume could potentially catch up to the judges and that could be enough for him to actually get the nod but I do think that even if this fight does stay in the striking round the more significant strikes and the more valuable strikes will come from the Robert side I think he'll land easy shots here on Bahamundes Bahamundes doesn't you know wear damage very well as we saw early in the Jock McDessie fight McDessie was able to cut him up and make him bleed and you know make it look good for the judges at least for the McDessie side and even the Salvatore Becerra fight where you know uh, Becerra had a lot of success in terms of closing the distance and landing his own strikes and get his own getting his own game off I think Roberts will have the same amount of success but I think you tie in the grappling advantage he has and his hopeful knack of going for takedowns I do think he actually comes out on the winning end here I think this minus 145 is going to look like an absolute gift when this is all said and done as I do believe that this is a huge buy low spot because the public perception of Roosevelt Roberts is very low remember I'm going to say this on a week-to-week basis when I see a similar situation like this but it's our job as a handicapper analyst predictor somebody that gives out advice on betting we have to acknowledge these types of moments where the public is low on a person and you think it's unjustified. And I feel like this is unjustified for Roosevelt Roberts. Like, again, if he goes out there and cruises past Kevin Kroom, he's probably a minus 300, minus 400 favorite here. Again, we could do that for almost any fight and any matchup in any scenario. But I truly believe that. Um, the other instance that i i brought this up recently was cheyenne Baez. right everybody was off of her you know even though she was a huge favorite against Montserrat ruiz she gets beaten by a way that you know you never see and then everybody throws her out the window thinking that oh she's horrible she she's not going to be able to get it done anymore and she gets it done really really quickly now i know that fight didn't take as or didn't play out that long so we didn't really get to see how it truly would have played out but for as long as it lasted it looked like Shane Baez was in the driver's seat and she got the finish when she got the finish so uh, same thing could happen here for Roosevelt Roberts it might end if, if finish quickly with a club and sub or something uh, I am ultimately going to go with Roberts by decision I think he goes out there uh, lands the better strikes against Bahamundes, uh lands the better damage again possibly with the grappling too I think he could definitely put into positions that will give him a, a you know a good look in the judges or at least open up some possible submission opportunities so i'm gonna go with roosevelt roberts my only concern is the volume of bajo mundes uh outside of that i think roberts hasn't beat pretty much everywhere else so i'm going roberts roberts decision but i will keep an eye on that submission prop as well because i do think that has some merit and it could possibly have some value so i'm going roosevelt roberts via decision William Knight versus Fabio Charant. We got minus 185 on William Knight and plus 160 on Fabio Charant. Now this line has moved tremendously as William Knight actually opened up as a minus 275 favorite and the public was all over Charant to drop him down now to a plus 160. And I wouldn't even be surprised if this line continued to close once we actually get closer to fight time. Now both guys leave a lot to be desired inside the cage and both obviously had very unfortunate showings last time in their... Uh, in their action when they stepped inside the cage will stop start off on the fabio sharon side of things who stepped in on short notice against alonzo menafield missed weight and then promptly got von prude not something that you normally see from a guy like alonzo menafield but fabio sharon did succumb to that uh william knight on the other hand is coming off a decision loss to dao Jung, where he got completely wrestle fucked for the majority of 15 minutes and he just could not get anything going and we saw dao Jung come home like i said with a decision victory both guys almost have similar styles but i'd say that would see uh william knight more so uh looking to get the fight to the ground you know 
uh, try to clench fuck his opponents up against the cage, drag them to the ground and just grind them out just as we saw him do against Alexa Camor a couple of fights ago. Uh, whereas Fabio Charant, it seems like he's a little bit more lackadaisical on the feet, allowing his opponent to come to him and then eventually looking for his openings, but it's just too far and few in between. He does have some sneaky submissions of his own as he does have some submission victories on his record, but I do think that the level of competition that he's been going against is kind of sketchy as well. Uh, he did get flying knee knocked out by Alexa Kamor on the Contender Series, uh, which earned Kamor uh, a shot in the UFC, uh, and then he did manage to string together three straight victories on the regional scene, the latter of which being uh, an LFA light heavyweight title which he was able to snatch after he got a victory over Myron Dennis via decision that was a five round fight that he was able to go uh, so I'm expecting to see a better Fabio this time around compared to what we saw last time. Obviously, we didn't get to see much of him, but he also gets to get a full training camp this time around. So I'm sure that's going to be very important for him to at least go out there and showcase the totality of his skills rather than just going out there and getting subbed really quickly. William Knight... Um, does catch me out a little bit right it feels like he, he was that guy you you could have relied on to go out there and just grapple fucking clinch fuck opponents but his gas tank looked really sketchy last time around and luckily enough for him in that alexa Kamor fight his gas tank was much better than alexa Kamor, which is why he was able to you know do the william knight thing for the full three rounds uh fabio charant again could be sneaky with submissions here. I don't think as much off of his back as as when he's on top. So that's going to be something to keep an eye on. Uh, but I do think that he has the better striking in this fight. Not by much, but I definitely think he could definitely put it on uh, William Knight a little bit better. Both guys could be carbon copies of each other too. And it would be interesting to see how this fight plays out when it actually goes down. But I do lean on the, uh, on the side of the dog. Plus 160 on Fabio isn't too bad considering that I don't think William Knight should be anywhere near minus 200 against most guys in the UFC, even Fabio Sharon. So this is a fight, in my opinion, that I'm going to be completely fading, though. Uh, you know, I don't think I'll have much money on this fight. Uh, at most, I think I might just take a poke at the over. I know it's a little bit chalky. Maybe you can throw into a couple parlays. But the over one and a half, I think, is very live here, as I do think that, that we'll see this fight and get dragged later into the second and third round with both guys, you know, kind of jockeying for position and trying to get grappling dominance, as I believe that they believe that will be the best path to victory for either one of them, whoever is able to implement it effectively enough. I think it will be Sharant. I think it'll have a little bit more than what William Knight's going to be bringing to the table here, ultimately, which is why I'll go with the underdog. Not a big spot here. Again, very low confidence, probably the lowest confidence I have on this entire card, but I still will side with the underdog here in Fabio Sharant. So I'm going Sharant, and I'll take him via decision. Bea Malecki versus Josian Nunez. We got minus 155 for the Swede and plus 135 for the UFC newcomer, Josian Nunez. If you guys remember, Josian Nunez was actually scheduled to fight Zara Fern a couple weeks ago, but Zara absolutely botched her weight cut and the fight eventually got canceled and Josian Nunez's UFC debut was put on hold. But here she is coming this weekend, taking on Bea Malecki. Now, stylistically speaking, this is kind of a similar fight. However, we got a much better fighter now and bail Maleki compared to what we were getting with Zara Farn. I do think that uh, Josia Nunes will have difficulty just as I believe she's going to have against Zara Farn, but I believe that uh, Bea Maleki even has the upside of potentially getting the finish in this spot. Uh, Bea Maleki uh, world champion Muay Thai fighter uh, obviously was on the ultimate fighter lost her first fight against Leah Letson but I believe she's definitely learned a lot from there and is starting to round out her game we've seen some grappling chops from her here and there but she definitely does do her best work when she can get her Muay Thai going and I do expect her to do that here against Josiane Nunes the big story here pun intended is the fact that we're gonna have a seven inch height advantage for 
Bayamaleki as well as a seven inch reach advantage. So we'll have to see her go out there and actually maintain that distance effectively so that she can really get her game going. Because Josie Nunes's game is highly predicated on closing distance and swinging dumb leathers. Because I do think that she wants to go out there and try to knock out her opponents that you know she's pretty much been able to do over her last several fights. A lot of her success comes from you know getting beat early in fights by her opponent but then coming back once they start to gas and then really start to put the hurting on them after that and then getting the win later in the fight but unluckily for her she's going up against a girl that does not gas you know most of uh most if not all of the wins that Josiane Nunes has comes from the fact that a lot of her opponents have gassed but Bea Maleki does not she will be able to keep that pace from minute one to minute 15 however I don't even think we're going to need 15 minutes from this heck I don't even know if we'll need 10 minutes for this I think we'll see Bea Maleki have tremendous success with the striking from the range and then when they do end up getting close into close quarters i think we'll see bayam Maleki actually snatch onto that muay thai plum and really get those knees going and i think that's going to have a tremendous effect on Josia nunez and i think that will ultimately put her away um i think nunez's best best way to win this fight is if she drags this fight to the ground but historically speaking from all the tape that i've seen it doesn't seem like she actually pursues the takedown much she prefers to go out there, swing that, uh, swing them gloves, swing those hands, and try to find a knockout. Now that she's in the UFC, there is a potential that she kind of goes out there and tries to look for the takedown, knowing that she's going to be outgunned on the feet. But you can't really say that without actually seeing it. And I just, I just don't see it happening. I think she sticks with her old ways and tries to get the knockout here over Maleki. Now it is a little bit discouraging seeing Maleki get touched up as much as she did against a girl like Veronica Macedo, considering that Macedo is a lot shorter than her as well. Um, but I think that there's a huge difference between Macedo and Nunes in the fact that uh, Macedo moves around a lot more, right? She's a lot more hippity-hoppity and looking for her spots and, and blitzes very well and lands shots that way. Whereas Josia Nunes looks a little bit more flat-footed she does have some blitz attacks of her own so i'm not saying that she's not even gonna land you know one punch in this fight i think she'll land a couple strikes here but i do think that she'll she won't have the most zest or sauce on those shots which is why i don't think she'll be able to put out maleki with any of those strikes so i do think we see maleki maintain distance pretty well here and i do think that she eventually gets a knockout uh but i do like the under two and a half in this fight i think both women have finishing capabilities uh i'd be interested to see if maybe maleki decides to actually take this fight to the ground impose her size and her strength against Nunes and try to look for a submission or even some ground and pound on the ground uh but I have seen Nunes reverse positions in the past but I just don't know what the level of those opponents were compared to what we're getting here with Bea Maleki it is a little discouraging as well also seeing Bea Maleki's only 2-0 at least according to Tapology, according to Sherdog she's 4-0 there's a possible mix up with the fact that uh, a couple of Bea's amateur fights should have actually been pro fights not sure what, what's going on there but what I'm trying to say is the fact that she you know doesn't have much MMA competition but I, f I think the experience that she's been able to accrue through her Muay Thai uh, career is enough to actually offset the lack of experience that she has in the MMA world uh, she's been like I said it seems like she's working on her grappling a little bit she's been working with some great teams like Fortis and Extreme and she's done some work over there in Stockholm as well but I think we'll see her start to put it together very well. And I think that this is a great matchup for her to go out there and get the dub as well. So I'm going Bea Maleki. I actually think she'll get the finish probably in the first round here. Uh, landing some beautiful knees up the middle. I think that's going to be her key here. Especially when you have Josia Nunes who dips her head a little bit when she throws her big strikes. And I think she'll meet a knee on one of those counters and will ultimately end her night. So I'm going Bea Maleki. First round TKO.
Brian Kelleher versus Domingo Pilarte. We got minus 170 on boom Brian Kelleher and plus 150 on the returning Domingo Pilarte. If you guys remember the last time Pilarte was in the cage, he got knocked out by Journey Newsom within 30 seconds of their fight, but quickly thereafter, Journey Newsom did pop for weed and that fight was quickly overturned to a no contest. But uh, that loss, we all know that loss definitely still happened and weed definitely didn't happen or help just uh, Journey Newsom as much as most people would expect especially if the fight got changed to a no contest before that domingo pilarte went out there and got out grappled for at least two solid rounds by philippe philippe Kalarish, uh losing as a minus 400 favorite uh so not a good look for domingo pilarte there and then before that he had that contender series fight where he was a minus 320 favorite against vince uh, vince morales and almost shit the bed once again where we saw vince morales land a lot of significant strikes in that first round close to finishing domingo pilarte in that first round Plarte luckily enough survives and then eventually gets that submission in the second round before that let's go a little bit further before that you had the Adrian Yanez fight you know very good fight close fight split decision I did favor Yanez for more so doing the damage compared to Domingo who's kind of just wrestling for his life and there was an even in an instant at the ending of that third round where we saw Yanez unloading on Domingo Plarte and the referee looked like he had his mind made up that he was going to stop the fight goes in to touch the guys which obviously signifies that the fight is over but right at that particular moment Pilarte shoots for a perfectly timed takedown gets the takedown and the fight continues on and he wins a split decision uh he does not look good when he's getting hit nor does it look like he likes getting hit not saying anybody enjoys getting hit but as a fighter you have to have a certain threshold for the punches that you're going to take and the damage that you're going to feel inside the cage and it doesn't seem like Pilarte enjoys any of that and you don't want to be get you don't want to be getting hit by a guy like Brian Boone Kelleher because we definitely know how much power he has in his hands not to mention the amount of experience having 34 fights of experience uh coming into this fight that's over three and a half times the uh, amount of experience that Domingo Pilarte has too um I think Pilarte's only real chance to win this fight is if he takes the fight to the ground. Because on the feet, he doesn't look that comfortable. He has a you know, a, a high kick that covers good ground, uh, a left straight down the middle, which does a decent job as well. Uh, but that's really about it. He has decent power at times. You know, he's finished some guys with his hands in the past. But again, it's very rudimentary and very... It doesn't look, you know, like... Uh, there's much technique behind it if i want to say that like i'm trying to say that as respectfully as i can uh he gets a little wild at times on the feet and he has to be very careful here against brian because if he wants to unload and try to get some striking off he's gonna get countered and he's gonna get put out we've seen it in the past where he overextends a little bit too much and we've seen opponents take advantage of it but kelleher is probably one of the hardest punchers that he's going to have gone up against in his recent career uh which is why I think that we'll, we'll see Keller actually land a beautiful shot here to put Pilarte down. I think Pilarte's only chance to win this fight is if he snatches up some sort of submission, which I think is low percentage, considering that Brian Keller is pretty well-versed on the ground, too. Uh, the last time, I believe, Keller had lost by submission was to uh, Montel Jackson, but that guy is an absolute freak, especially when it comes to the grappling game. So I'm going to chalk that up to, you know, Montel Jackson being Montel fucking Jackson. Uh, but Brian Keller has a sneaky submission game of his own. I think even if he gets taken down in this spot, he should do a good job in terms of getting back to his feet. I actually went on Brian's uh, IG live a couple days ago, and I asked him, I'm like, hey, 
you know, what do you think of Domingo Parlarte's wrestling compared to the last couple of wrestlers that you fought? And he goes, the fact that he's that much taller than me, he's probably not going to use that wrestling offensively because it's going to be difficult to get in the in on the hips on the shorter fighter, which, you know, I believe Keller is at a five or six inch height disadvantage in this fight. Um, it's going to be tougher for Pilates to secure takedowns. It'll be easier for Kelleher to stuff takedowns. He believes that uh, Pilates is going to be using that takedown uh, or, or is wrestling to uh, defensively more so than offensively. But even if he uses defensively, I still think that Kelleher can have success in terms of dragging this fight to the ground if he so needs to. But I think that this is going to play out mainly as a striking battle. And, now, and I think we'll see uh, Kelleher find those openings eventually and start unloading on Pilarte, eventually dropping and finishing him probably in the second round of this fight. Uh, I also think Pilarte has a shit gas tank. There's been numerous times in the past where we've seen him literally, you know, hands on knees, um, you know, bent over, huffing and puffing uh, in the middle of a round. It's not a good look. You know, I know he had major success in the third round against Felipe Kolaris last time around, but he was literally just riding his back the entire time. Had a very tight body triangle, um, and, I, and Kolaris just could not get out of it, and Domingo really wasn't stressed or pushed too much in terms of exerting too much energy. Um, obviously, there is a certain amount of skill required to be able to maintain that back position the way that he did, so I'll give him some credit for that. But if that fight played out on the feed, or if it didn't get stuck in that, that position... I think he would have been in for some trouble. And I think with Brian Kelleher, a guy who has five or three rounds of solid cardio, power that translates from minute one to minute 15, Pilates is going to always be in danger in this fight. So I like Kelleher here. Uh, I never thought I'd ever feel this strongly about him in a matchup, but I feel like he matches up very well here against Domingo Pilarte, who I've given credit to in the past, but once you actually run the tape and see how these guys match up, Kelleher is definitely the better fighter in this spot, and he'll definitely have the finishing opportunities arise. Last thing I'll say about this matchup, the under 2.5 is roughly around the same price as Brian Kelleher at minus 170. If you are feeling threatened by the potential of a Domingo Polarte finish, just take the under 2.5. I don't think this fight sees the judges' scorecards. I think what we see one of them get a finish, and I think well, it'll actually end up being Brian Kelleher, whether it is a club and sub situation where we see Domingo Polarte shoot a desperation takedown, or... Brian Kelleher just unloading on the feet and eventually putting Polarte down. So I am going Brian Kelleher, second round, KO. Austin Lingo versus Luis Saldana. We got minus 125 on Saldana and plus 105 on Austin Lingo. And this is another fight that's actually taken a lot of action on the underdog, driving him down to plus 105. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, Luis Saldana actually opened up as a minus 175 favorite. So there is some love on the somewhat boxer if you that's what you want to call Austin Lingo it seems like a lot of his offense comes from his hands and he definitely does have a lot of power in his hands and he does have a keen eye in terms of seeking submissions especially in club and sub situations uh four out of six of his fights before the UFC um were via knockout or sorry I apologize uh, he won within 35 seconds which is absolutely crazy to me considering that he was able to get out all those guys out of there as quickly as he did seems like he has a ton of power in his hands and that's definitely something that Luis is going to have to worry about here because if he gets clipped clean here he might not be coming back from that we did see Austin Leo close or get close to finishing Jacob Kilburn but Kilburn has great durability and he was able to survive that and we saw Austin Lingo just take home a decision victory that night Luis Saldana, on the other hand, coming off a uh, gift of a decision, I'd say. I did have money on Jordan Griffin, so I might have a little bit of bias in that spot, but I thought Jordan Griffin did enough to win at least two of those three rounds against Saldana. 
Unluckily for Jordan Griffin, he loses that fight and promptly gets cut by the UFC, which is just not a good look considering how close and competitive and fun a lot of Jordan Griffin fights have been, but that's the cold hard business of the UFC. Saldana, I'm not ready to write him off though after that Jordan Griffin fight, right? Austin Lingo is a completely different opponent. Jordan Griffin has great grappling, scrambling, and submission attempts, whereas Austin Lingo, I don't think he's as good with the grappling or in the wrestling, uh, and I don't think it'll be as easy for him to implement that grapple-heavy approach against Saldana as most people think he would. I think we'll see Austin Lingo kind of marching down Saldana for the majority of this fight, porting that patented Austin Lingo pressure on his opponents, but I do think that we'll see Austin, uh, Louis Saldana do what Luis Saldana does stay on the back foot land jabs at range land kicks spinning back kicks maybe go for your own grappling I think he can be serviceable enough in the grappling here to kind of nullify the the heavy punching and power that Austin Lingo is going to be bringing to the table here but I think that would see Saldana stay stay disciplined enough stay on the outside roll with the shots avoid the shots keep the distance let his strikes go and just let the points add up and him take home a decision victory by all accounts it seems like Austin Lingo is quite durable so I'd be surprised if Saldana gets him out of there but if Saldana really finds his groove and really gets his striking going and really finds his range he could start to let go and it could end up in a in a finish but I'm ultimately going to go with Luis Saldana by decision here as I just believe he's the much more crafty fighter on the feet way more combinations utilizes all eight limbs much better than what Austin Lingo does and Austin Lingo does this thing where he just follows his opponents and just marches them down and throws his big heavy shots He's going to have to start cutting guys off and he's shown it sometimes that he can cut guys off and try to, you know, uh, head them off and then land his big strikes. He's going to have to do that in, in droves here against Luis Saldana, especially with the smaller cage now that we're back in the apex here. That's something that he's going to have to do. However, I think we'll see the experienced Saldana coming into his 22nd professional MMA fight. He's 30 years old at this time. I think we'll see him uh, again. Uh, stay away from the big shots and get his own offense off not to mention another fight ready product I definitely think that he'll have all the chops knowledge and discipline to go out there and beat a guy like Austin Lingo who I believe whose only win condition is a club and sub or just a a club a KO I'd be surprised if he wins a decision here because I do think that we'll see the volume the output and the activity be on the Saldana side even though he's going to be the one that's getting marched down here so I like Saldana Saldana by decision um in the distance wouldn't surprise me but again by all accounts it looks like Lingo has a, do a decent chin good durability and I think that Saldana will be able to Again, uh, maybe not overcommit too much on strikes, which should help him stay out of danger, uh, which I, which is why I think he'll go the full 15 minutes and win this fight via decision. Alexandre Pantoja versus Brandon Roy Val. Probably the fight that I'm most excited about for this weekend, and I cannot wait for them to close the cage door behind these guys because this fight is going to be absolute chaos. We got minus 165 on Alexandre Pantoja, and we got plus 145 on Raw Dog Brandon Roy Val, who is... Always in an entertaining fight. I, I don't think I've ever had as much fun as I do uh, in terms of tape studying a fighter as I do when I throw on that tape for Brandon Royval and remind myself the chaotic nature in which this guy fights in. Now, skill for skill, and I've been doing it all week and I will continue to do it all week. I will always put out the disclaimer right at the top of this breakdown that, yes, Alexander Pantoja is the better fighter. 
technical technically speaking skill wise jujitsu wrestling striking all that he's probably the better fighter everywhere here but it's that just craziness that brandon royval brings into the cage that fighters sometimes are just not prepared for and i think it just catches them off guard when they're having all these unorthodox techniques thrown at them whether it's you know rolling takedowns fucking uh spinning stuff flying stuff you know just absolute craziness that brandon royval fights with and i feel as though um he could do the same thing here against Pantoja. Early it's going to be tough. I think that, uh, you know, Pantoja will definitely, uh, you know, be mining his P's and Q's, just waiting for the proper opportunities to go out there and actually land his combinations, maybe land some takedowns and get his own jiu-jitsu going. But I do think that uh, the longer that this fight goes, the more that it favors Brandon Royval. It wasn't that long ago that a lot of people believed that Pantoja had some gas tank issues. And I feel like if it's still lingering and if it's still around, it's definitely going to show itself here in a fight with Brandon Royval, who's just all action all the time, always moving forward, always pressuring you never giving you a chance to breathe or reset or whatever the hell it is Royval will never allow you to do that and if Pantoja is lacking at any point with his cardio it's definitely going to show in this fight with Royval now the way that I actually approach this fight is the under two and a half at plus 125 now if you look at their records and see how these guys have lost outside of that uh, shoulder uh, injury from Brandon Royval last time around against uh, Brandon Moreno these guys don't get finished often but the, the difference here is the craziness of Brandon Royval and the you know the the finishing ability of Alexander Pantoja and even Brandon Royval you know I think he's live for a possible club and sub situation I think he's live to catch Royval with some crazy sort of a strike as well like I think it's absolutely live on both ends in terms of Brandon Royval putting himself into compromising situations so that he could potentially take advantage of uh, unsuspecting Alexander Pantoja who thinks that he's going to be in a very good position when Royval's you know spinning and flopping to his back or whatever the hell that he's doing or it could work the other way where Pantoja is actually you know taking advantage of that uh, compromising situation that Royval puts himself in and finds himself the finish uh over Royval but you know I, I love what Royval brings to the table I'm a big fan of the dude I'm setting aside my bias and still picking him to win this fight because I don't think that there's a lot of guys in the UFC that are going to be able to deal with the crazy style of uh, of Brandon Royval. Again, I'm a big Pantoja fan. I think that he has all the makings in the world to be a top guy in this division. You know, a top two, top three guy. His only loss is former champion Davison Figueiredo and, uh, you know, future title challenger uh, Askar Askarov two fights ago. That's within the last five fights. But he has wins over Wilson Hayes, Matt Schnell, and Manel Cap last time around, knocking out two out of those three guys. Still, Brandon Royval, different level of of absurdity and chaos that he brings to the table. And I'm expecting the same thing here against Pantoja. Um, again, just like I said, disclaimer at the top of this breakdown, Pantoja is the better fighter, but I just don't think that he's going to be able to react well or uh, you know be able to handle the chaos and style of Brandon Royval Roy that he brings to the table. So I wouldn't mind a shot on Royval as a dog at plus 145, but I think the way that I'm going to approach it is the under two and a half uh, at plus 125, as I do think that one of these guys will eventually get the finish. I'm going to go with Brandon Royval, late second round, club and sub or TKO. It's going to be tough for me to call which exact way that he does it, but I think that he's sneaky enough to find uh, a, a situation where he's going to take advantage of Alexander Pantoja, catch him with something, and then lock up a choke of some sort. So I'm going Brandon Royval, second round sub, uh, could see a TKO, 
but I'll go sub for the sake of this breakdown. But the under two and a half is what I'm going to be looking at more so. Last thing I'll say, Roy Val round three plus 1600 last time I checked. I'm going to definitely be sprinkling that as well because I do think that there's a good shot that that could hit as well. Uh, so yeah, I'm going Brandon Roy Val round two submission. Austin Hubbard versus Vince Pichel. We got a pick them here minus 110 on both sides uh the public can't seem to make up their mind in this matchup but it seems to be an easy matchup to break down from the surface but it depends on how this fight truly plays out in the cage to see who was actually on the right side so uh i'm actually siding with the grappler here with vince michelle and it's hilarious that austin harbert has pretty much fought nothing but grapplers in his ufc career outside of kyle prepolik after that marco madsen loses that fight max roscoff you obviously remember what happened there. He gets a win there as a plus 170 dog. Loses to Joe Selecki in the first round via submission uh, as a very slight favorite. And then he ends up beating short notice Dakota Bush as a minus 230 favorite uh, in his last fight. Now here he comes in against a very experienced Vince Pichel, uh 13-2. and two, uh, Up there in age at 38 years old. So he's going to have a 9-year age advantage or disadvantage depending on how you're looking at it. But the fact that he only has 15 fights in his UFC or in his MMA career let you guys know at least he doesn't have too much fight miles on his body so hopefully that doesn't play too much into the fact especially with his, with him being 38 years old uh, but I do think that Pichel will be the stronger guy here. I think his striking is serviceable enough that he shouldn't be in too much trouble no matter what Austin Robert throws at him, especially those thud leg kicks, which he's nicknamed after. But I think that Vince Pichel will be able to kind of parlay those uh, leg kicks and turn them into takedowns or even just close the distance, push Hubbard up against the cage and really start getting those takedowns going himself. I think that he's a solid scrambler, good top pressure, does some good damage from on top, uh, looks for subs every now and then, but doesn't really uh, clamp onto them and, and really, you know, decide to go submission over position. He's definitely more of a position over submission kind of guy. And when he does or and is able to posture up and really assert his dominance from a dominant position, um, uh, he really gets some good uh, ground and pound going from the top position and, and really makes his opponents pay. But I think that Austin Hubbard has shown some improvements in terms of his ability to get back to his feet whenever taken down. Uh, you know, he's definitely working on that, especially with the amount of grapplers he's been fighting over the last several fights. Uh, and then when he's in the striking range and truly in a groove, we see him, uh, you know, uh, an example is the Dakota Bush fight where we see him just in a, a flow state, landing kicks and combinations and looking quite good. However, I think that Vince Michelle won't just settle for, you know, being in a striking battle i think he will engage in the grappling and i think he will be successful in engaging in the grappling he's shown time and time again that he can take dudes down and uh really start to wear on them the roosevelt roberts fight is a big one too you know he was a plus 205 underdog going into that roberts fight and everybody was counting him out he went out there and put on a solid performance landing takedowns when he needed to and really grinding out roosevelt roberts now i know the public perception on roberts isn't the greatest at the moment but i think that it's just I think it's all for naught. You know, I mean, I think it's just a, a recency bias thing where there were a couple mistakes that Roosevelt Roberts had made. You know, a bit of a fight IQ gaffe in the Jim Miller fight, a bit of a, you know, overestimating or underestimating, I should say, significantly underestimating Kevin Groom in his last fight. And I think those are all learning experiences for Roosevelt that he should be able to come back and look like the fighter that a lot of people expected him to be, especially when he was a minus 245 against a guy like Vince Pichel. 
But Pichelle, I think he still has a lot left in the tank to go out there and compete against guys of, you know, Austin Hubbard's ranking and Austin Hubbard's uh, skill level, and he can still come out with a victory. So I do like Vince Pichelle here. I think his decision prop is plus 140. I would rather just take the straight money shot here on Vince Pichelle in case there is the chance that he pulls off a submission or even a TKO. But I do expect this fight to go the full 15 minutes, and I expect grappling to be the deciding factor as to why Vince Pichelle ends up winning this fight. Again, Hubbard, great striker, uh, good leg kicks, good body kicks, but I think he's going to be in trouble when he really starts to feel the pressure and the grappling onslaught that's going to be coming his way from from uh, hell, <laughs> Vince Pichel. So I'm going to go Vince Pichel via decision. Trevin Jones versus Saeed Yokobab Kakamaranov. I think I nailed it. Saeed Yokob Kakramanov. Uh, stepping in on short orders here against uh, Trevin Jones. Trevin Jones obviously went through a couple of different opponents and now here we have Saeed stepping in today and uh, no odds out yet hence you guys are seeing the question marks for where the odds are but I'm expecting to see Trevor Jones as a decent favorite in this spot if we see uh, Saeed at anything better than plus 250 plus 300 then you guys start questioning the, the value and I believe the value would be on Saeed at that point as I don't think that he's one of these uh, short notice pushovers that uh you know that we've seen a lot during this COVID era in the UFC. Uh, I think that this is a solid opponent. He is the CFFC current bantamweight champion. He beat a guy that he was a minus 500 favorite against to win the title and has yet to defend it obviously just because that was his last fight and luckily for him now he's in the UFC. I think uh, well he does have a judo background. He shows some good takedowns, shows some good control on the ground, shows some good power in his hands, but he's a little bit wild on the feet, which I think will be his ultimate demise in this fight. But I think that this will be a very, very fun fight, and I think he'll definitely bring out the best in Trevor Jones. Trevor Jones, on the other hand, like I said, he's been recycling and cycling through a bunch of different opponents, and luckily for him, here comes Saeed, who, knock on wood, hopefully ends up making the walk into the cage this weekend, but Trevor Jones definitely wants to follow up his knockout win last time over Mario Bautista as a plus 200 underdog, and I'm sure he's going to be happy to be the favorite this time around, unless he likes to bet on himself, so I'm sure he likes to get plus money on himself, but I'm sure that he'll be the favorite going into this matchup as he does have good grappling himself, and he has some decent striking. My knock on him in the past has always been the fact that he just allows his opponents to kind of dictate the pace a little bit too much, and he kind of just waits for his openings a little bit too much, which could potentially put him behind on the scorecards if he doesn't end up getting the finish, but luckily for him, he's been able to get the uh, finish in his last four fights, albeit his last one did get changed, or sorry, his second and last one did get changed to a no contest because he tested positive for weed, but is what it is, showed a solid, uh, uh, you know, durability in that fight against uh, Timur Baliyev, taking everything out of the kitchen sink in that first round, and then coming back in the second round and getting a finish of his own. The Mario Bautista one, Bautista looks solid, and then uh, Trevor Jones had other plans eventually knocking him out, I believe that one was in the second round as well. And I definitely think he has the KO power here to put out Saeed as well. The thing that I'm actually, or the line that I'm actually going to be looking to target for this matchup is the under two and a half. I think that there, there is going to be chaos in this fight. I think there's going to be violence in this fight. I think both guys have a high upside of getting a finish no matter what side it is, whether it's a KO or a sub from either guy. But I do ultimately think it's going to be the Trevin Jones side of things who capitalizes on the wild nature of Saeed, uh, Saeed striking. I'm interested to see how Kakaramanov decides to uh, tackle this fight, right? He's shown in the past where he wants to go out there and grapple fuck his opponents, and then he's shown sides where he goes out there and just absolutely blasts them on the feet. 
I feel like he's going to deal with some decent resistance regardless of which way he decides to approach his fight with Trevin. But I do ultimately think that we'll still see Trevin get the better of him here. I'm not going to have too much exposure on Trevin Jones in this fight. Like I said, I would rather tackle the under. For some reason, I feel like the under 2.5 will probably be plus money here. If it is, I'll definitely be looking to, to take advantage of that. But uh, yeah, I do ultimately think that we see Trevin Jones land the better strikes on the feet, eventually finding that knockout blow probably in the second round or even first round in this fight. I wouldn't be surprised to see Saeed come out like a bat out of hell, as we've seen from a lot of these short Norris newcomers, knowing that maybe their gas tank isn't up to snuff concerning the short Norris nature of the fight. So let's try to get the opponent out of there earlier. Sometimes it's worked out like Justin James, and other times it doesn't work out like Jamie Simmons when he got knocked out by Giga Chikadze. Again, completely different styles and, and level of experience between all those fighters I just named, but still they're is definitely that narrative that could that Saeed could come into this fight with that I gotta get this done sooner than later because my cardio is not gonna hold up if we go the full 15 minutes. With that said, I'm gonna go Trevin Jones first round KO. Um, but the under two and a half is the one that I'm gonna be looking at. Hopefully that's the widely available total that they actually end up releasing. So I'm going Trevin Jones first round KO. Parker Porter versus Chase Sherman. We got minus 190 on Sherman and plus 165 on Parker Porter. Now, a lot of people are excited for this fight just due to the fanfare that Parker Porter has seemed to muster up for himself, especially after pulling off that uh, upset victory over Josh Parisian last time around. Uh, they're very interested to see how he stacks up against a guy like Chase Sherman. And I think he stacks up pretty well as long as his durability can... Uh, be up to snuff in this spot now the way parker porter last time won last time around against josh Parisian was just pressure staying in his face uh pushing him up against the cage winning some minutes there but really landing some good shots and finding the range when he needs to not to mention landing some good leg kicks as well which i think is going to be very important for him here especially against a guy like chase sherman uh parker porter again seems to be the butt of the joke in the mma betting community but he definitely still has the chops to go out there and spring upsets like he did last time against josh Parisian. I feel like this is another prime spot for him to do so as long as his durability holds up as I do think that Chase Sherman holds a little bit more knockout power than we saw from Josh Parisian last time around. There is a bit of concern of the fact that uh, Chase Sherman was not able to knock out Andre Arlovsky last time and I gotta say I feel like he honey dick myself into believing that he was a much better fighter than he was especially considering the fighter that he looked like when he was fighting Ike Villanueva in his return to the UFC. He promptly popped was popped by USADA last time uh, after that fight and did come back against Andre Arlovsky and did not look nearly as much of a killer as he did in the Ike Villanueva fight. I'm not sure if he just didn't respect the power and the fighting style of Ike Villanueva or he just gave too much respect to Andre Arlovsky, but he marched him down for the majority of the fight but just did not choose to throw enough, which is why Andre Arlovsky was able to pull out the decision victory in that fight, landing more decisive blows, especially at the op at opportune moments which the judges definitely scored in his favor. Andre Olowski did a decent job of leg kicking as well, really, you know, nullifying the amount of momentum and power that Chase Sherman was able to muster up whenever he was throwing combinations and trying to, you know, land that kill shot. With Parker Porter here, I feel like he is going to be backed up as well himself, but he does a good job in terms of finding his opportunities, just like Andre Olowski, to blitz for it, land a couple strikes, make it look good to the judges, and then get back out of the way, and then rinse and repeat, land a couple leg kicks here and there as well, but then, once again, close distance, land a couple shots on the feet, and get back out of distance. 
I think another very good thing for him to do in this fight, especially early, would be to try to tie up Chase Sherman up against the cage and really start to get the blood into those muscles, into those arms, and really start to drain and wear on the gas tank of Chase Sherman, which just did not look the greatest last time around. I'll say this, even though he was marching down Andrei Arlovsky, it's just his volume and his output that really lacked in that fight, which is why the judges ended up going to the Andrei Arlovsky side. And I can see the same thing playing out here. My only concern is the fact that Parker Porter could potentially get clipped early and put put out. But if he doesn't, you know, I think that you're really banking on a low percentage outcome for Chase Sherman to go out there and, uh, you know, just knock out Parker Porter. Could he win by decision? It's a possibility as well. You know, I think that he is the much cleaner striker and he definitely shows much better technique than Parker Porter. But it's just all about putting it together and actually finding, you know, the groove to get in there and actually get those strikes off. His calf kicking game in the Ike Villanueva fight was bar none. I thought it was one of the best that we've ever seen in terms of performances, implementing the calf kick and then letting your hands go after. We just saw none of that in the Andre Lovsky fight. I'm not sure what really put him off that. Maybe him going down to Sanford MMA now will remind him, okay, I do have that calf kick that I could potentially pull out here against a guy like Parker, Parker Porter and then, you know, get my hands going and eventually get him out of there with the knockout. But... Again, I don't want to completely write off Chase Sherman after that last performance against Andre Arlovsky. However, I still do feel like Parker Porter could make this a much more difficult matchup than more pe most people are expecting it to be for him. Uh, so I am ultimately going to go with the Parker Porter side of things here. I, there are a lot of good guys that I respect that are on the Chase Sherman side of things here. And I get it. You know, this is a kind of a, an iffy card in terms of spots that you want to go deep on. And I've seen some people pretty deep on Chase Sherman. But I do think that this is a spot that Parker could survive that early onslaught from uh, Chase and then really start to put it on him after, again, leg kicks clinch opportunities and those blitz attacks where he's able to kind of land some good shots on his opponent and really start to sway the judges his way uh we need to see a more urgent chase sherman uh, somebody that's going to throw more volume out there and then obviously be a little bit more accurate with his strikes if he's going to get the win with that said, I like the plus 165 on Parker Porter in this spot. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think he ends up winning. Am I going to make him my dog of the night play? More than likely not, because I do like a, uh, a couple other plus money spots instead. But I do think that Parker Porter is worth a little bit of a stab here, uh, considering what he brings to the table. Again, durability is my only concern with Parker Porter in this spot. If he can eat those shots like he did from Josh Parisian, uh, and if he can eat these early shots from Chase Sherman, he should be able to get some good work off and take home a decision victory. So I'm going Parker Porter, and I'm taking him by decision. Clay Guida versus Marco Madsen. We got minus 165 on Mark Madsen and plus 145 on the UFC veteran Clay Guida. And I feel like this fight has been the most talked about on Twitter, on Instagram, and even in the live chats that I've done this week so far. A lot of people have a lot of polarizing thoughts on this specific matchup. Everybody believing that Marco Madsen has all the chops. No matter his cardio issues, he should still go out there and either find a submission or at least win the first two rounds decisively enough that he should take home a decision victory. On the flip side... A lot of people think that Clay Guida can survive that first round onslaught that is inevitable for Marco Madsen, but they believe that he'll be durable enough and keep himself out of any submission trouble that he should be able to take the second and third round off the obvious cardio advantage that he's going to have in this fight. I am of the latter belief, especially at that plus 145 range. I do think the line is going to get wider as well once we get closer to fight time and you could possibly get Clay Guida at a higher number if you just waited out a little bit more. Now on paper, it looks like a spot where Marco Madsen can absolutely go in there and just ragdoll Clay Guida given his Olympic wrestling background. But there have definitely been 
some flaws that we've seen in Marco Madsen's game, especially in that Austin Hubbard fight his last time around, where he looked like he was huffing and puffing really bad going into that third round. And Austin Hubbard was, you know, very close to putting him away on numerous occasions, but just couldn't do it. Now, it all comes down to how quickly Clay Guida can start to out-energizer bunny Marco Madsen in the second round, right? Because it's almost a foregone conclusion that Marco Madsen is probably going to win the first round. He will land a takedown. He will get some top pressure. But I do think that Clay Guida is good enough and squirmy enough on bottom that he should be able to find, a way, find his way back to his feet. My only concern is if he sticks his neck out there, I wouldn't be surprised to see Marco Madsen snatch onto it. If he can avoid that, though, and then really start to push the pressure and, you know, get the movement and make it a lot more difficult for Madsen to complete takedowns in the second round, I think it's going to go all downhill for Marco Madsen from that point. I think that this is going to be a great live betting opportunity as well for Clay Guida, especially after that first round, given that he might be, what, plus 150, plus 160 going into the fight, which is what I'm predicting for the line movement this week, um come the second round he'll probably look probably look closer to plus 200 plus 250 going into that second round but i think the uh, bookmakers and the live odds guys are going to be a little bit privy to the fact that marco madsen does gas out so they probably won't give us too crazy of a line no matter how well marco madsen does in that first round regardless i do think the second round third rounds are really or the second round is definitely where we're going to find out whether this fight goes clay guida's way or marco madsen's way um I don't think we'll see Guida actually get a finish in the third round, no matter how much Marco Madsen ends up gassing in this fight. Marco has definitely done a... Um, uh a solid thing for his career by changing his training camp and going down to fight ready mma where they have a lot more tools a lot more resources and the perfect bodies for him to go out there and train his ass off and get the best looks that he can get and get a solid game plan as well from those guys down there at fight ready with eddie cha and santino defranco so i think that is a great uh uh, that is definitely a very solid uh, thing that Marco Madsen has done and a solid adjustment that he's made going into this fight, especially as he starts to cr climb the ladder within the UFC. Being at 36 years old, he can't really afford a loss at all. Otherwise, it shoots him down a little bit too much. And I wouldn't even be surprised if he does, you know, at one point, if he does end up taking an L, if he just decides to hang it up because, you know, he has 10 fights in his career. He's 36 years old. You know, how much more mileage does he really have in the tank to go out there and just, you know, keep cutting weight and keep training and doing all that stuff, especially since he's been a wrestler for as long as he has. Um, but I do like Guida in the spot. I do think he will survive that first round. And I do think that we'll see that Energizer Bunny style start to take over in the second and third rounds where maybe he starts landing takedowns late or he starts getting his game going, right? He's shown uh, in that last fight against... Uh, uh michael johnson as a plus 160 dog that you can't count him out the guy can still go out there and land takedowns and do what clay guida does and stylistically speaking you know clay guida may not be the favorite or you know may not be favored may often uh, more often not against anybody other than marco madsen uh, especially you know if you're talking about top 20 guys in this uh, lightweight division but I do think that how he racks or stacks up here against uh, Mark and how uh, the cardio will play out, how the wrestling exchanges will play out, and the fact that Mark Madsen relies on the wrestling and how much energy that that sucks out of uh, a fighter, it's not good. You know what I mean? Marco Madsen, I believe he really needs to go out there and rely on getting that early uh, submission stoppage against Clay Guida. Otherwise, I think he's going to get outworked in the second and third rounds. Last thing I'll say about this fight, a lot of people are saying, oh, Mark Madsen has a couple of decision victories on his record, but let's be honest. 
all of those fights that he was having on the regional scene on his lead up to the UFC were all setup fights. Let's be honest. There was all setup fights just to get him to the UFC. Now he's in the UFC. He's really going to have to start, you know, putting his uh, head down and really start to put in the work because he's not getting any gifts. Uh, just as he found in the Austin Hubbard fight, even though he won that fight, you know, maybe minus 320 was a little bit too high of a line for him, especially considering how that third round went. So I think people are privy to that now, which is why the line is where it is with Clay Guida. Uh, but yeah, I like Guida here, and I'm going to take him to win this fight by decision by outlasting the Olympian. Uh, and again, yeah, taking this fight by decision. Time for the main event. We got Calvin Gastelum going up against Jared Cannonier. Cannonier coming in as the minus 150 favorite to the underdog of Calvin Gastelum, who's coming in at plus 130. Now, the interesting aspect of this line movement is the fact that Calvin Gastelum actually opened up as a plus 175 underdog, and the public has quickly bet him down to, I saw him close to plus 125 uh, at least yesterday, but now it's gone up to plus 130, just a couple points, so nothing big there. But uh, yeah, the, the public definitely did not agree agree with the fact that Calvin Gaston was such a big underdog in the opener here and uh I, I agree with them I'm actually siding with Calvin Gaston in this spot and uh you know it, the the main question I asked myself when I really start to break this fight down is where is Jared Kananir really better than Calvin Gaston he has great power you know he used to fight a heavyweight and obviously some of that power is going to start translating down to middleweight but he's not really going out there and like you know it's uh, the, the 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 difficulty I have in terms of breaking this down, especially with Cannonier's power, is the fact that we've never really seen Calvin Gastelum actually go out there and get knocked out. Right? That's kind of been one of his shining traits throughout his career is the fact that he can take an insane amount of damage but still keep moving forward and still hold up some pretty good uh, cardio, no matter how long the fight goes as well. Uh, we've seen it in the Israel Adesanya fight. We saw in the Neil Magny fight. He has a plethora of five-round experience under his belt, something that you can say about Jared Cannonier. Now, Cannonier has been in five-round fights in the past, but it hasn't really gone to the full five rounds, so he's never really had to dig deep. But I feel like he's going to have to dig deep here in this fight against Gaslam. Uh, it's difficult to say when Gaslam's chin is truly going to crack because I think that if it does crack this weekend, Jared Cannonier would absolutely find a victory. But up until this point, nothing really indicates that Gaslam will get knocked out or that his chin will fail him this weekend i think the most surprising part about the about this matchup for a lot of people when breaking it down was the fact that he's only 29 years old right he's he has a 17 and 7 record 24 professional fights but it feels like he's been inside the ufc forever especially since he won the ultimate fighter uh way back when where he was able to dethrone uriah hall who was this monster coming off the ultimate fighter at the time now, Kevin Gaslam, I believe he was the last pick on that season of the Ultimate Fighter and pretty much proved everybody wrong and has had a pretty good career for himself, you know, finding himself in a uh, interim uh, welterweight or middleweight title fight uh, not too long ago against Israel Adesanya, which he came up pretty short. But it was a damn close fight going into that fifth round before Israel Adesanya really started to take over. Again, skill for skill in terms of how these guys match up, I still feel like Calvin Gaston is the better striker, the better uh, wrestler, better jiu-jitsu player, better grappler overall, and he has some great durability, whereas Jared Cannonier, he has some great leg kicks, and he has some solid power as well, so he could definitely, you know, find that chin of Gaston, I just don't know if it's going to crack. Now, if you're going to go out there and bank on a guy to go out there and knock out Calvin Gaston, and 25 minutes is definitely a long time for you to find that chin, I think you're kind of doing yourself a disservice, especially if you're paying chalk for that kind of uh, a win for Jared Cannonier. 
I think you're better off taking the KO line or inside the distance line here for Jared Cannonier if you think he wins this fight because I think that Kelvin Gaston will definitely be the better round winner and the better minute winner in this fight as he does have a lot more tools to lean on compared to what Jared Cannonier is going to be having to, to do. I feel like he's asked to go out there and actually rock and hurt Kelvin Gaston on numerous occasions throughout this fight to win this fight via decision, but I think that's going to be a pretty tough task, especially when you have Kelvin Gaston who moves kind of well and I think that it, when it comes down to it I think he can rely on his grappling and his wrestling to get this into positions where he will have a bit of an advantage especially with nullifying the amount of power that's going to be coming back his way from Jared Cannonier. I think it's going to be difficult at first for uh, Kelvin to get it going but after maybe a round and a half or two rounds the dressing should start to come a little bit easier to him and then he should be able to rely on that to you know stay away from the power of uh, Cannonier and then obviously start racking up some minutes in terms of uh you know uh you know winning rounds and then hopefully getting a judge's decision if this fight does go 25 minutes both guys are hella durable um i do think that this fight will ultimately come down to a judge's decision and i gotta go with the underdog here man i think that gaslam like i said better round winner i think the fact that he can lean on his grappling will be a big plus for him here um again his striking is good enough i believe i believe it is a little bit rudimentary in the fact that he has you know uh, uh, from his southpaw stance he has a lot of like one twos that he throws down the middle but he does it with such force and and he does it in a very effective way with his blitzing attack and his maneuvers which have caught a lot of fighters off uh you know off guard at times he could do that here against Cannonier, but he's going to have about seven or six inches of reach to close first, and then he's going to be at a twitch height disadvantage as well. But then again, what else is new for Calvin Gaston when he's talking about being at a size disadvantage whenever he fights at middleweight, which he's have done, which he has done for the past several years at this point. I do like Gaslam in this fight. I do like him by decision. I think I, the decision prop is the one that I would look to to take here, or even the overs. If you have access to the over three and a half, shout out to my guy Clint, who I did the show with earlier this week uh that's something that he kind of pinpointed but unfortunately the three and a half is more of an alternate total so not a lot of bookies actually have access to that but i do like the three and a half around that minus 130 minus 140 mark as i do think that we'll see this fight actually go the full 25 minutes so uh, you know i I am going to give credit to Jared Cannonier and the fact that he could potentially knock out Calvin Gaslam here. Just like looking through, you know, the last uh, handful of opponents that Calvin Gaslam has gone through, Cannonier might be the hardest hitter out of all of them. I mean, we got a very uh, timid Darren Till against Calvin Gaslam, considering that was Darren Till coming off that championship loss to Tyron Woodley. Uh, Israel Adesanya, you know, good technician, but not a crazy one-punch knockout kind of guy. Jack Hermanson, more of a grappler. Ian Heinish, not a knockout puncher. Robert Whitaker, again, more of a technician with the striking rather than being a one-punch knockout kind of guy. But Jerry Cannonier could be that one-punch knockout kind of guy, and that could f spell the end of the durability run that uh, Kevin Gaslam has been on. However, I don't think it's going to happen this weekend. I think we see Gaslam grind this one out. He's going to have a tough first two rounds, but if he's able to get through that, uh, I think there it's a good live betting opportunity for Gaslam later in this fight. And then I also think that will definitely favor him the later that this fight goes so that he can mix it up a little bit better and he won't have as much power to worry about from Cannonier the later that this fight goes. So all in all, I'm going with Kelvin Gaslam and I think he wins this fight via decision.
And that's a wrap on the breakdowns. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. If you guys haven't already, make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe. And if you want to show your boy a little extra support, hit up that Patreon, five bucks a month. I've already explained all the perks and you can obviously see the perks in the description below. And lastly, shout out to CoolBet, coolbet.com. Use promo code MMALOTN2 and they'll match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks. Trust me, it's a great site. You're going to want to check it out, especially if you're looking for a new bookie. CoolBet will definitely fill that void for you. Uh... I'm off to the fights in about 36 to 48 hours. I can't fucking wait. I can't do my math right now because I'm so excited. Uh, going to be off to Vegas on Thursday. Going to be doing the Prop New Up show at 5 p.m. Eastern. Sorry, 4 p.m. Eastern from Vegas. Uh, it's going to be the debut episode for my guy, MMA Fox, a.k.a. John Stargarian. As you guys know, if you guys haven't already heard, um, the Prop New Up show, Cody will only be doing the pay-per-view episodes with me. And then uh, the Fight Night episodes, I'm going to be doing with my guy, John, who is a very, very sharp dude that you guys are going to want to hear from. Uh, so I can't wait to do the Prop New Up show with him. Friday, Ultimate Wayne show, that should be taking place around... 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. Eastern. I haven't finalized the guests yet, but as soon as I do, I'll let you guys know. Uh, I'm hoping to do it live with somebody in, in person since I'm going to be in Vegas and we got a ton of uh, knowledgeable people over there. Um, and then Fight Day live chat, regular time, 1 p.m. Eastern, which will be 10 a.m. Pacific time. So I'm going to have to get my ass up nice and early for you guys to do that uh, to do that Fight Day live chat. But normal scheduling throughout the week uh, in terms of content that's going to be coming out, but slightly different times in terms of when you guys normally expect it. So keep you guys, keep your eyes peeled for all of that. All right. Good luck on your bets this weekend, and I'll see you guys throughout the week.